Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, the world's strongest man, a world champion in not one, not two, but three different sports. Mark Henry and I have three amazing guests for a Friday edition of the Busted Open Podcast. How about this? NXT superstar Isaiah Swerve Scott joins the podcast today. Talks about NXT, but also talks about his indie career before getting to NXT. Also, we talked to future Hall of Famer and now actor. He has the Big Show show on Netflix, one of the big hits on Netflix. The Big Show joins us and your WWE champion just before his big match on Sunday at Money in the Bank with Seth Rollins. That's right, Drew McIntyre joins us. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. You know, without a doubt, definitely one of the greats. And when it's all said and done, he's going to be joining you in the Hall of Fame. And he's also done amazing work on his show on Netflix, the big show show that is streaming now on Netflix, eight amazing episodes that I think are hilarious. And, And Mark, you've been a part of that as well. Let's bring him in. The star of that show, and like I said, one of the great legends, the one and only Big Show. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, David. I like when they say one of the great ones. That means like, dang, man, we can't believe you're still alive. You're still kicking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm over here like Snake Plissken. Man, I thought you died. You're still alive. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, my brother? I miss you. Man, I miss you too, I man. David Mark. I know yeah, that. Not Dave. I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. He was about to. He was about to show. Thank you for <laughs> not allowing him yeah, to steal my stunt. He, he tried to slide in the, with, you know, with a great beat in the background, acting like he's cool. I'm like, nah. Uh, yeah, like, we, we, we had, we had some good music today. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good music helps. Now, so, Mark, should we bring him into the conversation that we're having during the break, or should we do yes. the interview? So I think ahead, that, Mark. that he should actually be the host now that he's you know Hollywood guy. Yep. You know he could you know he could be the host of the show and bring back show. Do you remember Eva Knievel? <laughs> yeah, of course. 
So why why don't they still have this on TV where you have people making challenges where they want to break the world record for how many buses they can jump or uh, who could jump off the tallest tower and pull a parachute, you know, like all these crazy things. Like, why don't they do that anymore? Because we got YouTube. Oh. Hmm. Look <laughs> at the big brain on Brad. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I think it's one of those kind of things, too, that nowadays there's so many people. Like, you got to understand, I think when Evil Can Evil was big, there was like, what, four channels to watch? Three, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And maybe that one UHF channel, if you bent the antenna just right, you could get it to come in. It was a little snowy. Um, you know, uh, there's just so much with social media and stuff like that. Now the big productions for those events like that, I don't know if they'll do as well. I mean, you look at some of the game shows. What was I watching the other night? Mental Samurai. Have you seen that Mental Samurai show yet with uh, Rob Lowe? No. It's, uh, I just caught it last night. They got somebody sitting in a robotic arm chair, and they have to, and a lot of the questions are like our concussion test, you know, the one that we take for concussions, and then if you get hit in the head, you have to take the test again. Yeah. Um, it's a lot Baseline of questions test. That, what kind of images, um, put these names in alphabetical order, you know, things like that. But the chair is moving and spinning, and it locks on to different locations. And, you know, you're like 25, 30 feet in the air, and this thing is spinning like a robotic robotic arm, and then it dials into to each category, you know. And I was like, "Wow, they're really going to the next extreme as far as, as game shows and stuff like that." I thought it was interesting, you know. Well, I, so I'm gonna have to tune in for that. Chair. Yeah, it's I'm pretty good. Right. I mean, because you got, I, I get the concept. You got to be smart. You got to stay focused, and then you got to deal with motion sickness. So it wouldn't <laughs> work for me. I'd make about two questions and puke all over the audience. That'd be the end of that show. <laughs> Well, the, the the greatest uh, game show of all time is Card Sharks. Card Sharks, yeah, yeah higher, like lower, freeze. And, uh, that's all you needed. Higher, lower, and freeze. Twenty five thousand dollar pyramid, too. You know, twenty five thousand dollar pyramid was not it, or was it ten thousand dollar pyramid back then? You know, you know, yep, yeah, those are good shows. I mean, you, you enjoyed them. Pressure Luck is still my favorite as a kid because you sit there and go, no whammy, no whammy, and they do the little cartoon dance. You know, as a kid, <laughs> that was a cool game show. You know. <laughs> All right, so instead of putting over all these game shows, let's put over your yeah, show right, right, on right, Netflix. Right. The uh, you know eight eight episodes right now. Talk about the experience and and really talk about the early success of the show right now. Uh, I'm blown away, David, by the response to the show. I mean, you know, there's a lot of heart and effort that went into the show, and a lot of years of behind the scenes of for lack of a better term, politicking and um, trying to come up with concept ideas. I mean, Mark Mark has been with me for so many years on the struggle, and we've gone down the road in cars and talked about, you know, if I could get this opportunity and we could make this happen. And, and so to see that all come together and then to be lucky to have the cast that I got uh, to work with the partners that I have with Netflix and, and WWE and then to be received so well by the WWE universe. It's extremely overwhelming. I've never done anything in my life. I mean, in my life that's ever been so, uh, with such a positive response from everyone, wow. you know, um, I'm, I'm extremely humbled and gratified by it. And, uh, you know, if you've seen the show, then you know how amazing Mark Henry is. 
and I should find out hopefully in the next uh, next few days uh, if we get uh, some more episodes ordered from Netflix. Uh, if so, then you'll definitely see uh, Mark Henry a lot more in season two. Uh, my cast fell in love with him. My co-star Allison Munn just loves him. She talks about Mark Henry so that holds her chest. He is such a sweetheart. I'm like, no, he's not. You haven't been with him when he's hungry. I promise you. I got the ass food once again. You sure do. But no, um, we're really excited and, and hopeful for things in the future with it. But, you know, to, to go from years ago doing the Saturday Night Live where Rock had us on, and, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be gauche and drop his name, but that's when it really started for me was when we got to do that appearance with Rock and the, and the live comedy, and there was just something in the back of my mind that was like, you know, I, I can do this. This is something I can do. This is in my wheelhouse. And this is something that I want to do. I think that's the biggest thing. And uh, and to go forward to where we are now and, and have the show out in, in an incredible, crazy time. And it's bringing families together and the entire family can watch it, you know. Um, like I said, man, I couldn't have picked a better uh, a better outcome. I think we got as high as number three overall in Netflix. And I know that we're definitely, um, I think, number one in family sitcoms on Netflix. I think we made top 10 in every country um, that we premiered and that we dropped in. So uh, I think I heard that in one in South Africa, I think we actually beat Tiger King. So wow. that's, uh, I mean, you know, Africa doesn't care about tigers. They see them every day, but tigers. <laughs> <laughs> so watching, oh. watching the big show show, uh, I watched your development on that show. We always knew that you had been tailor-made for sitcoms. You, you, you have a smart, um, a really high IQ and and a very good sense of humor. I saw your development though on this show. I, the first episodes um, until about the third show. The third show, it looked like you were very comfortable, like you were that character, and um, not just being yourself, but you were very perceptive. I was very perceptive, Mark. Um, because the first show, I mean, I was completely inundated with new information. Um, I, I, I laughed because I was such a rookie. Uh, and we all make rookie mistakes, but uh, I was such a rookie. And, and we, I got the script on Friday um, for our first week of shooting started on the, the following Monday. Man, I went through the script over the weekend. I said, oh, man, I got this. I mean, two whole days to learn? Man, this is easy. I got this down. This is easy. I showed up Monday. We did a table read. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a cakewalk. We walked through it a little bit Monday. where They put it on its feet a little bit. You know, this is where these different scenes are going to happen in the kitchen, in the living room. I'm like, man, this is great. I went back to my apartment that night, went to the gym, had a good workout, went to bed early. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a cakewalk. I don't know why we need rehearsals on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We can shoot this thing tomorrow. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so I showed up Tuesday. We started walking through it again, and all my lines had changed. I didn't know they do a rewrite on Monday night, a rewrite on Tuesday night, and a rewrite <laughs> on Wednesday night. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was all different. <laughs> so I had to learn real fast. Uh, I, you know, I usually got the script in my hands at, like, uh, usually about 8.30 p.m., uh, on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and uh, the PAs, because I need hard paper in my hand. Um, it's just the way I am. Like, it's easier for me. Like a lot of people can do it digitally, but I need to flip the pages and turn them. 
So the PAs were running them uh, to my apartment for me. So I made sure I, whoever, whichever PA ran it that night, I made sure I took really good care of them so they could get lunch so, for the next couple of days. So know? there's a lot of people that, that are not familiar with, with, with lines. Can you explain to them about the uh, about the paper, having paperwork in your hand and the, the pages and the loops. Uh, well, you know, it, it's the the script. Um, you know, that's going to depict what you're saying in the scene, your stage directions in the scene, and who is going to be in the scene with you, um, what characters, and who you're working with, and the dialogue. Um, a lot of things are done digitally now. People have iPads and they can flip through on iPads. I'm still, you know, I'm so old. When God said that could be right, I hit the switch. So I need the old school <laughs> paper in my hand. And and, uh, and I learned a lot from this funny Allison Munn. Uh, gave me a trick with these giant hoops that you buy at Staples or Office Depot or whatever. These just metal rings. And you put it through the punch holder and it's easier to turn the page. And I ended up. Uh, putting tabs on my scripts because my fingers are fat and it made it turn faster. Uh, the best was, is like I would do a joke on Monday and my joke sometimes would be on one page and then continue on the next page, just the way it printed out. So I would kind of fumble a little bit to get the joke out. And then I come back Tuesday and that joke was gone. You know, and I was talking to Alice. I said, why did they take that joke out? She says, well, writers want to make sure that you hit jokes. She says, if your joke continues on the next page, write it complete the joke on the first page, like write it down by hand so that you can get through the joke in the run through. And then, you know, 90% of the time you'll keep the joke, you know? So I had to learn real fast. Wow. If it wasn't for her teaching all these little tricks, like old school stuff, you know, about, you know, from tying your boots to wiping your feet off before you get in the ring, all these reasons, feeling the ropes before you work, you know, all these things that we do uh, to prepare for wrestling. It's the same thing. You know, when you're doing stuff like this, there's all these little tricks that, um, these veteran actors have, and I have so much respect for it. It's a different skill set, but I had so much fun doing it. You know, I had to be a sponge. I had to soak up everything around me, everything from not standing in people's light in a multicam because it's so hard. Because I'm lighting Juliet, who's tiny, uh, in a scene with her, and then I'm seven foot, and then the lighting and make sure I don't shadow her face or. Or, uh, you know, or, or stand in her camera line and which camera she's feeding at, you know, the different cameras. So, uh, well, it was you, a lot to learn, but I think, like you said, after a couple episodes, I yeah, started getting real comfortable and uh, and really started dialing in and getting the performance part of it. So uh, I'm You're definitely doing more, more work. Yeah. And and that, that I think that's one of the things that, that has been beneficial to you is the fact that you're smart and you can adapt uh, you wouldn't have lasted so long in pro wrestling if you couldn't adapt and, and evolve. And uh, I think that's in every industry, uh, especially in, like you said, you're starting to learn the tricks of the trade and being around seasoned actors uh, and actresses. Um, I, I, I look forward to seeing what the future is going to bring for you because uh, I've had at least, <clears throat> at least 100 people that I know personally uh, including a, a mutual friend of ours who said how comfortable and how easy it looked, even though we know it was hard work. Uh, James Roday was, was on my show uh, Sunday and we talked yeah. and, and you came up in conversation and he was saying how much fun he had working with you and how quickly you, you 
adapted to the lines and learned them. And you started saying, you know what? And you started helping. And I was like, that's show. Because he's, he's, he's got a real high IQ. So he's able to, you know, adapt and, and, and build on stuff. And tell me, tell me about that. Smart, Mark. I ain't going to be able to be lazy no more. You know, they're killing my lazy dinner. You know, I, I'm, hey, you you put that, that shit out, out the, the window. Water, it's you know? it's out the window, along with the Oreos. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 man, come on now. <laughs> so I'm gonna let y'all in. I'm gonna let you in. Show always kept uh, Oreos in one of the bins in his in his bus because he he had the big travel bus, and anytime that I rode with him. He would come up and a whole row of them bitches would be gone because I would open it up. And I would eat the whole center <laughs> row out. And he I wouldn't say nothing. I wouldn't say nothing. No. And then I knew that down the road he'd be like, hey, you know you owe me a pack of Oreos. <laughs> I feel hey man, you right on the bus. Are you bringing your own Oreos or you plan on cleaning me out again? Because you know, you can't be eating the man's Oreos. Because I get up in the middle of the night and I want some Oreos and you've eaten them all, it puts me in a bind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're looking good, man. So you, you're not eating Oreos right now, are you? No, no. I'm, uh, I'm taking advantage of the, uh, of the crazy times and uh, eating real clean, eating real well, exercising, uh, you know, doing uh, just staying busy and, and staying uh you know me. I've always pretty much done a lot of stuff by myself, and anyway. I've always been a lone wolf. So I sell my bike and my truck, and and I, I drive way out here in Florida. I got about. I found a place that's got about fifty straight miles of gravel road uh, with a like a, a causeway next to it, and there's nobody out there, so I can literally ride. Uh, you know, till my feet fall off. You know, and it's just, it's just good to to get the energy out during the day and work on your thoughts. You know, we got a lot of stuff cooking now that's coming up in the future, a lot of projects um, that are moving forward. And that, that bike ride gives me a chance to, to let all that stuff settle in. And, uh, and I can have all those conversations with myself before they happen. You know how that goes. You got to think it through before you do it, you know? Well, uh, uh, first and last question from me, because I know time is short. Um, oh, you still here? You yeah, know yeah. Here, man. Thanks for letting me in on the conversation. Uh, <laughs> I know one of the probably the difficult things for you in acting, and, and Mark, I know for you as well when you've done it, you know, you're used to performing in front of an audience. And, and obviously when you're taping right. an episode of the Big Show show, that's not the case. But then the Raw after WrestleMania, you had a fantastic match with Drew McIntyre under the same conditions. You know, here you are on a Monday Night Raw with zero audience. How surreal was that for you? Um, you know, a, a lot of people are making a, a really big deal about it. My personal take on this might be a little bit different. Uh, one, I am very proud of WWE and our talent that are doing everything they can during these crazy times to give people a chance to escape, to give them, you know, a product. And we're able to pull off a WrestleMania and um, complete a lot of those storylines and angles that went on all year. Um, you know, but I think the empty arena working in the ring with your opponent is going to make our younger talent a lot better because you really, the, the, your business is exposed when, when you don't have a crowd to hide your mistakes. 
you don't have a crowd that can can boost along your story. You can't stomp your foot on the mat and get them going or clap your hands or scream at the crowd. Any of these shortcuts to get the audience involved uh, to steer them the way you want to steer them with your match. The only way you can steer them with your match now is by actually the work in the ring. And if you go back to, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, you know, some of the classic greats of wrestling that were working in these small TV studios, there wasn't crowds then. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. A lot of those no, that's, TV you're right. tapings in those local markets, there wasn't an audience, you know? So, but you're not working, and this sounds terrible, but you're not really working for the people that are there. You're working for the millions of people that are watching at home. That's why yeah. all your matches face towards hard camera. That's why most of your your cells, your reactions, your finishers are all facing towards that hard camera because you're working to the crowd at home. And I think a lot of times the younger generation that haven't really had a chance to focus on that take advantage and they work to the back of the ring and, and the, the sides, yeah. you know, where they can find the most people because that's the easiest way to do it. Right. Now, I think you're going to see a lot of talent really get comfortable, really improve and explode once we get back in front of a live audience again because they'll appreciate it because it was taken away from them and they'll work harder to, to give that live crowd a better ride. That's just my opinion on it. So as far as Show. being surreal... I dug it, and I thought it was a great chance for me to to focus in on an incredible talent like Drew McIntyre and uh, get done what I had to get done there. My brother, man, I appreciate you coming on, man. Please tell us you'll come back. Uh, we, we, we didn't even uh, scratch I, you know the surface. Me, I am a phone call away. I love you like a brother from another mother. You know, um, please say hello to uh, JoJo and Jacob, um, you know. How big's Jacob now? Is he hitting over six feet yet? He, no, he's six feet even, two thirty. And I'm gonna send you some videos of him lifting. Oh, I, I can't wait. I'm gonna have to call him Mr. Jacob now. I could talk trash to him as a kid. He gets as big <laughs> as you. I'm gonna have to call him, you know, Mr. Henry the next time I see him before he tries to whip me for being mean to him when he was a kid. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you awesome, enjoyed man. talking to me too. Okay, uh, don't forget, big shows, <laughs> big show, show season one on Netflix. Oh, you're still all here, David? I can't believe it. He's still here. This guy's got, you know, he's got Moxie. He's still here. That's good. I'm hanging in there. All eight episodes on Netflix. Seriously, big show. Thank you so much for the time and good luck. And hopefully, we'll get much, season David. two. Yeah, hopefully right. so. And you guys be safe, be happy, a lot of love. And to everybody that's tuned in to Netflix and watched the Big Show show from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And Mark, thank you for being on my show. Love you thank guys. you, brother. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport. And Sirius XMFC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. And you in each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds, bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a derby day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching more than a game. Your WWE champion, Drew McIntyre. You mean grown-ass man, Drew McIntyre.
Really looking forward to talking to him, Mark, because we had him on just before, days before WrestleMania 36, and now he's your WWE champion. You know, to me, the champion is always the face of the company. So Drew McIntyre right now, the face of the company at a time, Mark, where, you know, this is obviously trying times for everyone, especially the WWE putting on shows each and every Monday night for three hours without that regular 10 to 15,000 fans. So, and he has been killing it. So let's bring him in right now. As I said, just before his match on Sunday at Money in the Bank, which you can see on the WWE Network with Seth Rollins, your WWE champion, the one and only Drew McIntyre. Drew, how are you this morning? Yeah, fantastic, buddy. How are you getting on? It's good getting you, Mark. Come on, do the introduction, Mark. Ladies and gentlemen. Mark's there? Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you grown-ass man, Drew McIntyre. Oh, heck yeah. Can we get you in as a Ricardo Rodriguez? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Drew, awesome I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so good, man, to hear your voice, to have you on. I remember the last uh, conversations that we had in Jacksonville, North Carolina, in the hotel when we were at the military base, uh, and we were talking yep. about what's going to happen and how to get you to that next level. Little did we know, less than three months later, uh, you would be the world heavyweight champion. How you feel about that? Yeah, it's wild. Oh, man. It's, it doesn't even seem real. I'm in my office. I'm looking at the title. It's got the nameplates on there to remind me that it's real. But I remember the conversation we had. You know, you've always been there. You know, gave me advice, always been honest with me. Maybe fired me up a little bit. And sure enough, a few months later, I won the Royal Rumble. And I remember walking backstage and finding you. And grabbing you and saying to you right away, grown ass man. <laughs> yes, I think sir. we've got in camera somewhere as well. I want to get that footage. Well, I, I tell you what, you you did the work and you developed, and I would not have been on you if I didn't see that potential in you. And I wanted you to respect yourself because of what I saw. And you have done an unbelievable job of showing people that you're more than a body that you're more than a tough guy. And we talked about that, the layers of letting people feel something about you rather than just see it. Uh, What do you attest that to over the last uh, six months to eight months? Uh, The one, two, three countdown, the glib uh, interviews that you had with Randy Orton where y'all started chopping each other. And where where did all of that come from? Because that's what led you to this point. And I just want to know where it came from. Yeah, I mean, um, I had a little, I would try to pinpoint this. I've been talking about it in a few interviews. Um, but I remember I had like a minor surgery. It took me out for eight weeks and I returned as part of Team Flair. And I remember Rick Flair got in the ring and I joked with him earlier in the day. Hey, Rick, is there any chance I can get, you know, a limousine ride and jet flying little introduction? thinking, no, this is never going to happen. And sure enough, Flair went out there and said, you know, this kid is a limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. He's kissed all the girls in Cleveland twice today already. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I, went out, 
I went, I went out there with Rick and he kept encouraging me, hey, come on, big man, show, show them the gun, show some personality. So I started joining in with Rick, you know, flexing and showing a bit more personality. Backstage seemed to enjoy that and encourage me to keep going. And eventually, like Paul Heyman told me this recently, there was a moment where I had a dark match with The Fiend in a cage and they told me, you know, you're going to get some microphone time, just pass the time, do whatever you have to do while they set up the cage. And this is the chance I saw. I was like, okay, I'm going to show them the real me. If anybody's watching, that's cool. Everyone's probably left by this point in management, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to have fun with the crowd. And I popped a seat on the barricade and I started talking with the crowd and people were leaving. I could see them stopping and turning around. I was being very interactive with them. I was being Drew Galloway as opposed to big, serious Drew McIntyre who's angry all the time that no one can relate to. And I think, you know, the right people got eyes on that and said, that's the guy we need to put on TV. And slowly but surely, I got more opportunities on the mic, encouraged to be myself. And finally, I wasn't just this big, hairy Scotsman that nobody could relate to. I was angry all the time, except the one big, hairy Scotsman in Scotland, looking at the screen going, I can relate to that guy. Now, everyone could relate to me uh, when they got to know my real story eventually, which is, you know, one of fighting and overcoming difficult circumstances. Wow, that's awesome. You know, Drew, talking to you right now, and you sound a little bit different before the Drew that we spoke to before WrestleMania 36. Like, you know, you sounded great then, but you really sound, like, excited. You know, you sound happy. You sound, you know, uh, there's a lot of passion in your voice. Were you a little nervous before WrestleMania 36, knowing that the complete atmosphere and climate that you thought you were going to see in Tampa completely changed. You know, were you a little nervous before WrestleMania 36? Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous and, you know, I felt fully prepared as much as I could be, but you know, I still get the butterflies and I'll always get the butterflies, especially with such a big match and with the circumstances changing the way they did. And nobody knew what to expect. It wasn't until I was actually, Actually, I tell a lie. It's not even that I was uh, at the building. I was backstage waiting for my entrance at WrestleMania. It was silence. You know, it wasn't 80,000 people screaming. It was complete silence. And then when my, I was wondering what is going to happen here, like, how are we going to do this? And when my music hit, I don't know what happened. I just slipped straight into the zone. I was like, this is the main event of WrestleMania. You're fighting Brock Lesnar. This is what you've worked for. I went out there. You know, I was completely in the zone. And when Brock Lesnar came out there, and if you saw the look in his eyes, you know, he was ready to go. He's not phoning this in. He was ready to fight. If you could have read my mind, you know, people would think I'm insane. But what was really going through my head was if you try any funny business in this match, Brock, I will drop you where you stand. Maybe afterwards when I calm down, it seems a bit crazy to say, but that's exactly what's going through my head. You know, when I'm out there, Andrew McIntyre, I'm feeling the moment. I believe it. And that's exactly, you know, what it was that night. I was in the moment. We had the match. I had the special moment after the match when I won the title. And usually it's a one, two, three, big pop. It was one, two, three, silence. I was given the title. I looked at it. I forgot. There was millions of people watching. I just had my own private moment. The world got to see that private moment. And then I remembered. Oh, crap. There's was Brock Lesnar lying there. Oh, crap. There's millions of people watching around the world. I better pay attention to them. But there's no one in the building, so I just did what felt natural. That's a big thing right now is embrace the environment, do what feels natural. So I crawled to the floor camera. We're not supposed to look down the cameras. We're not supposed to break the fourth wall. But I reached out to the camera, and I wanted to thank everybody. Thank them for supporting me on my 19-year journey. Thank you for choosing WWE during these difficult times to take your mind off everything. And I assumed that would be edited out. And the fact they kept that in there, you know, that was my WrestleMania moment because this was so much bigger than me getting my moment in front of thousands of people. This was about taking people's minds off this pandemic. And I got to close the show and hopefully put some smiles on their faces. 
Yeah, and Drew, it's completely different than any other, you know, WrestleMania moment that anyone has had in the history of WrestleMania because you're right, there was no crowd in that building, but more people watch WrestleMania 36 than any other WrestleMania. So the fact that you had that moment, that connection with the camera, because so many millions of people were able to, you know, live that in their homes that probably when you go back and we go through the history of WrestleMania, that WrestleMania moment is going to be looked on completely different than any other WrestleMania moment. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I can believe when I heard the figures that we had 13.8 million social media interactions for WrestleMania over the two days. That's up over 50% from yep. last year. You know, lots of people did choose WWE during this time. And like you say, in the future, when people look back, you know, you have these big WrestleMania moments. The following week, people remember it. The following month, people remember it. And video packages remember it. No one's going to forget the day uh, when the world stood still during this WrestleMania. And Drew McIntyre won the WWE title. Yep. Drew, I, I always say this to the champions. And there's, you know, I, I guess now with you winning, there's 129 world champions that have ever been and being 129 um you get to say something right now that uh only those men have been able to say when you win that title the first time it's real isn't it yeah it's more than real like i just can't believe it's my life's work we've had some ups and downs to get there but when that three count happened, it's the exact same reaction I would have had in front of 80,000 people. Like, I went off into my own world. When I got handed the title, I stared at it. Nothing could have been more real than that moment when I played the montage in my head of being a kid and my mom and Nana giving me the money to travel 12 hours to learn to wrestle and my family and all the sacrifices they've um, put up with, the sacrifices my wife's put up with, especially during my independent time and everything that I've been through leading to that moment. If you could have seen the montage in my head, it was unbelievable of everything. Just, yeah, being being real is the only way you can put it. It was very real. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting on that montage to show because uh, that you're going to have a bigger moment here soon uh, when this pandemic lifts and the person that you get attached at the hip to and y'all start working and traveling the world again, it's going to change. And who that person is going to be is yet to be decided, but who would you want that person to be? That's a good question. Can, can, can so then Dave, the good thing is, sorry. Dave and I have, a, have our choice, and we thought that it would be a really good deal to have a jealousy thing happen with gender where he's not proud. He wants, he only wants an opportunity. And I, I just really think it will make for great television. Uh, both of you love and respect each other and you are willing to do the extra things that's going to make a good television. Um, what do you think about uh, what me and Dave talked about? I love that idea. Um, and I know a lot of people out there, when they hear that initially, are going to think, oh, no, that's not what we want right now. Trust me, like, you all see the bigger picture. There is a real story there, not just the story 
that is on television. You know, we were in 3MB, we both got fired, we came back, we won world titles. There's so much more behind the scenes that happened, so much more that happened in our personal lives that we'd be comfortable putting on television for a world title feud. We'd put it all out there. Um, he just needs the time to keep building some steam. I need some time to cement myself as the champion. But like you say, when the crowds come back, I need a heel who's a real heel. We have a true backstory. When he won the world title, people weren't so happy about it. They kind of came down on him. When I won it, I was kind of praised. Perhaps there's a little jealousy there from that moment. And we legitimately have the story outside the ring, aside what you saw on television. So I absolutely agree with you both. And everyone out there that's not sure, like, trust me, just uh, it would be something very special because it would be, like we talked about earlier, real. Now, we're hoping that you still have that WWE championship, but you do have a title defense coming up on Sunday at Money in the Bank with Seth Rollins. Talk about this unique Money in the Bank pay-per-view on Sunday. And again, it's on the WWE Network starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. But talk a little bit about your match with Seth Rollins on Sunday. Uh, well, one, I know it's going to be a great match. You know, Seth is somebody I've wrestled more than probably anybody since I've returned to WWE. He's a phenomenal performer, but obviously the roles are a little bit different this time. And the story <laughs> is very interesting this time. And, you know, I'm digging it. That's the one thing about this situation we're in right now is that, you know, WWE, the heart of it, it's all about storytelling. We're really able to get our stories and promos and characters across right now. And Seth's obviously maximizing this time with the Messiah thing, but, you know, he's going out there saying, like, no one else can lead WWE right now except me, and he recognizes, you know, Drew, you've been through this journey, you've been a great leader, but considering what's going on right now, I'm the only guy that could possibly do it. He's completely lost his mind, and, you know, I had an observation, you know, when the fans kind of turned on him, and he possibly lost his mind, and then he lost the title, he really lost his mind, you know, it came to my attention when he was the champion, you know, I believed he loved the business. I know he works really hard, when he talked about the fans, you know, and how much he loves them and how he appreciates the people that help get him there, they were across as insincere to me sometimes. And, you know, honestly, I believe that the only person Seth Rollins, the character, loves is himself. And the fact that hmm. he's calling himself the freaking Messiah and he's the only guy that can lead the company into the future, I think I was proven right. So, you know, Seth had a little bit of a mental break, and that's fine. It doesn't mean we're not going to have a great match because it's Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, heck of a match. Our first title defense on pay-per-view after WrestleMania. I'm going to kick his head off, and it's going to set me on the right path to be one of the greatest champions of all time. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not many times during this pandemic that I've popped in my house so loud that it made everybody in the house go, what happened, what happened? Is when you said, oh, yeah. you believe your own bullshit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like that banter between I was, that was the best man I was I was emotionally oh, I was not just a guy that was involved in wrestling I was a fan that reacted like everybody did and like you are on top of your damn game I'm proud of you I want you to keep working hard and keep trying to innovate like don't just get caught on uh, the entertainment or just on the wrestling, but do it all. And uh, I, I think that we'll we'll be talking about you in the next 20 years as one of the greatest champions we've ever had. Wow. Well, thank you, Mark. That really means the world coming from you. And you know, I'm glad I made you pop so loud. Like, that, like I say, to, like this situation is, you know, obviously not ideal, but with these promos um, and when it comes to the storytelling and characters, we really have an opportunity to get your character across how you want to be seen by the fans. And when we return 
to the live shows, you know, people are going to know exactly who you are and what you're all about if you take advantage of this opportunity. So to any of our superstars who are listening out there, you know, when you go out there, you don't have to play to imaginary fans. Embrace the environment, be yourself, mm. relax, and get that story and character across because this is an opportunity to get that character across the way you want to because there's no distractions. Everyone has to focus right on you. So make it freaking count. Wow, that's and awesome. Look into Drew. that camera. Look into that camera. Yep. Yeah. And make bring a connection. In. Don't do it willy nilly. Don't waste it. But when you want to make a connection, there's no one there. This is the only time you're going to get to do it. Make that connection, like you say. Like make people feel it. Make it real to you. Find something that's real in there, even if it's not real. Like find something that's real and you believe in, and show that to the people and make that connection. Looking down the camera, like you say, just don't overuse it. You know, Drew, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Mark, you mentioned bullshit. I got to bring up something that happened two weeks ago on this show, Drew, and I don't know if you heard it or not, but we had uh, Colby Covington on our show, and oh, Mark yeah. and I, and, I, and, and, Mark and I wound up arguing the whole interview. The guy didn't, never, didn't barely talk because Mark and I were kind of arguing during the whole time because I took exception to the fact that he comes on our air, a pro, an MMA fighter coming on a pro wrestling show and calling out the top dog. Right away, he went right to the guy who's on the top of the mountain, Drew McIntyre, and I was like, well, wait a second. I mean, you know, you're just – kind of getting a cup of coffee in this world and all of a sudden you're calling out the big champion the WWE champion Drew McIntyre I thought it was an asinine thing to do Mark said hey man you know if you're going to do it do it big what's your thoughts on Colby Covington and the remarks that he said on our show I mean I get it Um, you know Tyson Fury's done the same thing uh, since I won the title, we have a bit of back and forth banter. You know, people recognize the global reach of WWE. We're in 800 million homes across the world, 180 countries, 20 different languages, over a billion social media followers. They understand, you know, that's a huge platform, a huge opportunity. And obviously, if you've got any sense, you're going to go for the top dog. And I've heard what you said on the show, you know, David versus Goliath. It wouldn't maybe be a sanctioned match for WWE, but let me put it in this, this perspective. This is how I see it. In WWE, I beat Brock Lesnar in five minutes. I don't know how Kobe would do in an MMA fight with Brock Lesnar, but WWE, I beat Brock in five minutes. If he wants an unsanctioned match in a bar fight, okay, I'm fine with that. Not for the title. Only our superstars deserve title shots, but I'm fine fighting anybody anytime that's going to get more eyes on WWE. But here's the thing. There's a reason there's freaking weight classes. I'm six foot five, 270 pounds legit. If you think I've not been in a fight in my life, you got another thing coming. So if I'm going to fight him in a bar fight, that's fine. I got 100 pounds on the guy. I'll knock him out. He'll get some buzz. Maybe some eyes in the company. So if he wants to fight, we'll fight. I like it, Mark. I Class. love it. Class versus That's human stain. Class versus human stain. That's how it's going to be billed. Drew McIntyre, class well, he said David versus, versus human Goliath stain. as well. David versus Goliath. Like, I mean, I beat the bigger Goliath at WrestleMania already. And right. realistically, this Goliath is not a big idiot. So I'm very calculated. I go in with a game plan so that... You know, life is going to crush David if that ever happens. There you go. In a bar fight, I'm looking for sharp stuff. (laughs) I'll touch you with everything in the bar. You think I'm not... Yeah, you think I'm not going to headbutt him? There's a reason one of my moves is the Glasgow kiss. We call that Glasgow kiss. It's a headbutt. I'm not opposed to shoving a thumb in someone's eye and popping their eye out their head. And I'm also 6'5 and 270, and I fight dirty. I'm Scottish. He would go down in a second. I'm fine. I'm fine to do it. Stand up for all the Scots in America that's listening to the show and all around the world. 
Stand up. I'm Drew, bloody thank, mental. Uh, Drew, thank you so much for, as always, thank you so much for the time. You've been so, so good to this show. And, you know, I truly appreciate it. And good luck on Sunday. And, as Mark said, I, I agree. You know, they're going to be speaking your name 20, 25, 30 years from now. And I'm so glad that we're able to watch this from the ground up. And, and Drew, thank you so much for the time, as always. No, thank you, as always. Always appreciate you all. You know, you're all passionate about this industry. I'm passionate about this industry. I know that's what we've got in common, and I'll always be on there as long as you'll have me. And thank you, Mark, for always being in my corner. If I can get you there Sunday to announce me, that'd be cool, too. All right, brother. Anytime, anytime. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barack Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. And here's a guy that we opened up the show with. And, Mark, you said it best because we had Big Show, you know, future Hall of Famer, actor, one of the hit series on Netflix, legend in pro wrestling. Then we had Drew McIntyre, your WWE champion. You can see him face Seth Rollins at Money in the Bank on Sunday. But in the main event position on a Falls Count Anywhere Friday, is the one and only, a must-watch each and every Wednesday on NXT, Isaiah Swerve Scott. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. It sounds like I'm in good company. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> For today, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to beat, you know. You're the main event. You got the big show and the, 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 the current WWE champion, and, and, and you close the show. Shit. Ooh. That's got, what I'm talking about. Stories. I better have good content. I got to be on my A game. Well, I'll but say you know this. what you you always been on your A game. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember uh, contacting you about three years ago. Um, yeah, I remember this being Shane Strickland and saying, "Hey, man, why are you not here?" And you you told me, I think your exact words was, "Man, I I think that they think I'm too old." And <laughs> I was like, "What? Who told you that?" And you said. I think Triple H told me that. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> and I said, let me make a call. And I I love the fact that you you had it was you had me at hello. You was already good. <laughs> and then yeah. you came to NXT and they took Shane Strickland away. And I, Isaiah Swerve Scott was born. And damn, how do you do that, man? How do you how do you build upon something that was already um, concrete? Um, I think I've been doing that all my career. Like when, I, especially when I was in Lucha Underground, they took away my whole face, and I had to create something completely different with that. And it took me that took, that took, that was where I really got challenged to like really um, stand out in a whole company and locker room full of legends and some of the greatest talent in the world. That's when, like, Pentagon and Phoenix started coming up. Like, Ricochet was doing his thing as Puma. Morrison was killing it. Then you had Jack Evans come in. You had, like, Aerostar. You had all this influx of talent. Damn. Everybody was so amazing. Like, it was stacked. And not to mention Gerald Rio and Chavo Guerrero with other legends and Rey Mysterio coming into season two. It's like, where do I fit in with all that? 
you know? So, um, and that's starting with a blank slate. They took my name away. They gave me a mask. Um, so I was like, okay, what can I do with this? And that's what, and I feel like that's the challenge what we all go through as entertainers. Like, what can we make out of something that isn't ours, but now we have to turn it into something that's ours and for the audience to register what we just created. And that's the, the beauty of like doing it all over again at NXT. Wow. You know, speaking of NXT, something that uh, I talked about with Bully last week and Drew McIntyre was just on and Drew McIntyre talked about how now more than ever, you have to make a connection with the audience at home. You know, you're performing in front of zero yeah. audience during this pandemic. And one of the things that I talked about on Thursday morning after last week's episode of NXT and you're currently in the uh, Cruiserweight Tournament is I talked about how you did an amazing job as you were making your entrance to the ring of looking into that camera. And then once the match was over, you were interviewed and you made that connection with the crowd at home by the way you looked into the camera. A lot of performers, you know, and I understand it because they're used to a certain way. They're looking to the left and they're looking to the right as if there's a crowd there. But right early on, you made that connection looking into the camera. Was that something that you you know, instinctly did? Was that taught to you? Uh, you know, talk about like what you were able to do last Wednesday on NXT. Uh, last Wednesday, that was all instinctual. Like I, I literally felt like I needed to connect somewhere. And with that, um, we don't have an audience. I can't connect with audience. And that's the weird thing about the time we're in now. We don't have that Daniel Bryan effect where the whole audience is like can generate a different swing of effect with how the show is going to be created we don't have those guys who are more over than the other guy. You know, we're kind of just like, all right, we got to connect in a different way now. We can't mm -hmm. judge by that. So I was like, let me connect in a way that like, what's, what's around me? What can I use? It's also one of those things I was just talking about. Like, what do I have on me that I can use and manipulate to make it my own? So like, um, I had, I knew what I was going to say in my head and kind of had the feeling of it, but I was like, how do I generate it energy wise? And camera's the only thing I have. So like staring down the sole of the camera is like one of the techniques I was taught taught years ago. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to try to get them to genuinely feel for me and genuinely want me to win. You know? Awesome. You know what? One of the things that I, 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 I would love to see more of is I want to see more of the holes. I, I see you go into different variations of holes but you go out yeah. of them and you use the more high flying, use the more exciting elements to for finishes and for setups. Uh, when are we going to see uh, a Swerve Scott hold finish somebody? Mm. Man, um, um, for that, I'd say like, man, that's the future. Seeing me. Yeah, yeah, because like. I always like to build my offense and yeah. I like the, the, the audience the, from what they have seen, seen of me. Like for me, I don't think they've seen a lot of me um, at home, but um, that like just looking back on YouTube and stuff like that and looking on the network, I'm like, Oh wow. I do have like a nice little catalog so far over the past yeah. year. And it doesn't recollect. It doesn't like recollect to me as of yet, but like, I still want to see, I want still want the audience to see my offense grow as right. my character grows, as my personality grows. And judging on those things, that's when the moveset kind of changes a little bit. Like, it, it, angry, 
do I stick with high flying? No, I wouldn't. And when I'm, when I'm desperate, do I, when I'm desperate and I'm like injured, do I, that's when I should go to submission. Cause I don't have the strength to pull off anything else. You know, right. like I can't, listen that happened with Kurt talking. angle. A limb is. Yeah. And, and, and the undertaker, yeah. yeah. Like, like everybody evolved to a point to where all of their stuff works and it still works, but you're going to come across that one talent. That's a transcendent talent. Like say, if you had a match against a uh, Keith Lee or Dominic Dajakovic and uh, Adam Cole or someone, and you, every, all your stuff didn't work or right. every time you got ready to do it, it got pulled out from under you. But then you reverse something into another hold that finished them off. It would put that thing over whatever it right. is. Uh, I, I, I was the first one to, to take Sako. I was the first one to take the um, uh, Undertaker's uh, hold, the uh, uh, go-go plot. The Hell's Gate. The Hell's yeah. Gate. And mm-hmm. it was because their other stuff wouldn't work on me. And right. that, that, is, that is what I want to see you evolve to. I want to see you evolve to layering your matches, not to where your stuff don't work, but it's getting taken away from you. And when you can use find a hold that fits your personality, that fits who you are, that is the only thing that you are lacking. You are a complete wrestler. And that's why you get over so good is because you're so complete. But the from the outside looking in, and you know, I'm I'm a film watcher. I scout. I want to find every little detail of who I'm wrestling. And if I was wrestling you, I would I would know you through and through. And I think that is the only element. When you get there, like you will be the guy. And and there's nothing that can stop that. I mean, I I got enough faith, and I've seen enough wrestling that Isaiah Swerve Scott is is a champion in the making. I appreciate that very much, man. Appreciate that seriously. You know, talk about your passion and love for pro wrestling, because Mark and I were talking about it earlier in the show. There was that documentary series, The Wrestlers, that you were involved in the deathmatch wrestling. Like, And the reason Ooh. why you said you did it is because you wanted to shock people. You wanted to surprise. People thought you one way you wanted to show there was other elements to your game. Talk about that love and passion that you have, that you, you, know, you are part of all these different organizations, whether it was Evolve, whether it was Lucha Underground, now with NXT. You know, talk about that passion you have for pro wrestling um i always wanted to fill the entire spectrum of what we can do in this art form i never wanted to feel like um because i'd say it was about like four or five years into my career so like halfway through um i was starting to be put into those like scramble matches that's all i was ever doing is mm. early on they just mm-hmm. put you in the scramble matches because they're your athletic shotgun shotgun finish Shotgun, shotgun, yeah, everything. Just like, oh, okay, I'm finally made it to Evolve. Scramble match, scramble match, scramble match. You know, I made it to Dragon Gate USA. Scramble match, CZW scramble match, like aerial assault and stuff like that. Um, and there, people get typecasted and like when they're especially on the Indies when you're booked that way, you can only do those so much to get out of that. So you just stay in those like matches. 
And then some people get typecast as only being tag team wrestlers. Some people get typecasted as only being mid carters. So like, how do I break out of that? And um, I only did the death matches when it was like a big feud. It was the culmination of something. It was a title on the line. It was a lot of people. Like there was a big payday involved. So it wasn't just like I was just going out there and doing them. It was like a lot of the elements that came into making those matches mean something. That's why that's why a lot of people remember them rather than just being like, oh, you did those? Yep. Oh, okay. So um, uh, my first one was, uh, uh, I believe it was, um, it was the C- CZW Night of Infamy um, in Jersey at the Flyer Skate Zone against Devin Moore. And I was the CCW wired champion at the time. And um, Devin Moore was used, was CCW champion. He's been wired champion. He's done a lot in CCW for the company's history. And um, I went to DJ Hyde, the owner, and I was like, hey, what if I what if I had him challenge me to a Panes of Glass match? Because people wouldn't see that coming, especially for a secondary title, the main event yep. on the CCW in a death match. It was new. It was different. You know, so I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. He was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And once again, that doubt in his mind made me believe that I was doing the right thing because he doubted it too. So I knew the <laughs> audience was going to doubt that I was going to go, th- I was going to go through it. So um, we had two panes of glass set up on each side and Devin didn't take any of them. I took both of them. So I took the only, I was the only one that took the death match stuff. So it flipped people's uh, mindset the other way. They're like, Oh wow, he really's doing this. And then when I on Lucha Underground when I did it with um, AR Fox, it was the, it was a, a hell of hell of war match, but it was three stages of hell. So the first one was first blood. I'm wearing a mask. He's not. People are going to assume, oh, that Dante Fox is going to bleed because he's the one not wearing a mask. No, I flipped it and put the panes of glass out there, and I went through it, and my back was covered in, in blood and glass, so I bled. So I just like taking elements of things and flipping it. Because that's what that's what our art form is. It's like we give them something that they everybody assumes is going to happen because they've seen it a million times or they know the pro quo, what happens in pro wrestling, and we flip it and now we're like, whoa, didn't see that happen. It's, we love when it happens in movies and cinema. Why can't we do it here? And that's I psychology. Love, and Mark, I love yeah. what he said, in, and, I, and it always pops me whenever – anyone ever says this is that he looks at pro wrestling like an art form because when pro wrestling is done right it truly is an art form and that's how an artist thinks an artist thinks of like all right i'm known for this one type of thing so now i want to kind of flip the script a little bit and present something else so i'm just not pigeonholed as one thing and i don't get typecast you know isaiah and you haven't because you're so much more than just a pro wrestler now you know mark mentioned your your music i know you have uh the swerve City podcast, though. Mark, have you been asked to be a guest on the Swerve City podcast? No, no, no. interesting, interesting. Mm-mm. I've actually no. messaged him and said that I would love to come on, and then I've been ghosted. Yeah, so it's quite, quite interesting that you know that we haven't been yeah. asked to be on. I don't, I don't, I don't know. We, we just got <laughs> no, like the most. No, I love to have all y'all on. <laughs> come on, Gabby, it's your time to get him too. <laughs> <laughs> Dig in, Gabby. You haven't got in by that. I don't know when y'all are ever in, in Orlando. I need to know when y'all are in Orlando so I can schedule these things, man. 
Well, it's interesting, and I don't know if you know this now, but there's a thing called Zoom. I don't know if you heard of it, but you can actually do shows where the person's not actually there in front of you. I mean, it is 2020. Uh, You may not be hip to the new kind of technology that's going on right now, so I'm just throwing it out there. that Don't get your ass choked out, Dave. You're getting that choked out status right now. You're letting your mouth overload that hummingbird ass. You better chill out. I hate to see you get kicked in the face. (laughs) Or didn't you say I needed a new submission hold, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Dave, Dave, (laughs) chill, chill. (laughs) But seriously. You will see you. The pandemic will be over eventually. uh, And then you'll be at a pay-per-view, and then you'll walk down the hallway. Oh, hey, remember me? I'm only thinking of him, Mark. We bring ratings. You know, we are the number one sports talk show on Sirius XM. I'm trying to throw a little ratings yeah. his way, but but it's in, in all honesty, doing. We'll the get podcast, an invite. I think we'll get an invite after this. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Um, Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Cross, cross my fingers. Um, Marconi Award winner. I'm crossing my fingers. Anyway, so uh, so <laughs> let me let me ask you this. Um, yes. You know, doing the podcast, you know, has that helped you at all? Because, you know, mic skills are so important. Like, you know, being able to sit down and do interviews with a lot of superstars, with a lot of wrestlers, has that helped you at all, you know, on the pro wrestling side of things? Um, Yeah, uh, for me, it's helped me with interviews such as this. It's helped me um, be able to communicate well. Like, how do people interact? Like, what's mm-hmm. the response? You know, like... um, do I have something in response to what this person's saying? Do I know how to present this question that I'm trying to weave through and ask? Like, it's not controversial, but in a way, it's tongue in cheek and it kind of like touches on some things, you know? And um, uh, it's been great, like learning the people that I've um, been, meet, been meeting since I came to WWE. Like, I've had Cesaro on, never met him before. You know, I've had like uh, Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai together you know i've had simone johnson on who i uh, became great friends with like my whole crew has become great friends with a lot of these people um lucha house party um drew gulak and um, a lot of old friends like adam cole coming on the show that i've haven't touched base with in years and finally like having them on the show like oh man we still like are tight like we used to be man and like um my crew i uh shout out to montezzi who does the music with me the swerve city uh i album is out now uh, from humble beginnings on on all platforms man on spotify google play and itunes shout out to big swole being my big sister in the whole show and siren and on as the videographer and mike simmons behind the mic on social media who's been doing the video editing and we just got our new guy uh x all the x who's been doing some other videography work so i have a really great team and they've been able to get jobs and extra work video editing for the from the guests that come on here so they're working now with a lot of these people so i'm putting them on and that's what i'm so happy and proud of that my friends in like my crew there's only like four or five people but they're starting to expand and their library and their catalog of people that they're working with so they have a resume now and they can go wherever they want to go in their life and their career because they've have these people that they've interviewed matter of fact this monday we got kofi coming on the show and we just advertised wow yeah, so we got our first WWE champion coming on the show Monday. So follow us on Swerve City Pod on on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Swerve City Podcast Official. 
And you can see like little clips. We just had the last episode we had Austin Theory on and talking about um, his WrestleMania moment. And what I like about that. Yep. And what I like about that is just like, it wasn't just him talking about wrestling. It was talking about life. And does he get scrutiny for being so young, getting opportunity so fast? And does he get eyes like side eyed going through like, through life going through like you know he was a bodybuilding champion at 17 years old you know and like oh like you were a very disciplined guy at such a young age some people don't get that type of discipline until they're like 28 30 and stuff like that to figure out what they want to do with their life he knew what he wanted to do at 17 and discipline his body and his mind to do that like like how is that you know so it's like we talk about life and like go inside the mind of the performer not just wrestling and wrestling wrestling you know like i feel like they can get these interviews from these people other places i want to offer something different and a different type of conversation with the performer that you're not going to get anywhere else so we do that here on swerve city podcast well offering something different uh i i I like that you are being i want to stay on this hip-hop thing because i'm a hip-hop head yeah uh not just hip-hop but you know even the the new modern rap i don't i'm not particularly a mumble rap guy but I, i i like I still like, you know, Tribe Called Quest type uh, hip hop. And I hear metaphors and, and, and y'all have real serious bars. Uh, I would let my son listen to you over then some of the stuff that he has me go, Dad, listen to this. And I'm going, mm, just head, what head, in the head hell? Head right in the palm. So head, head in the palm. And, and, and it's like. Why? Why did you adopt that style? Is that is that more you? Is is I think it's more of an intellectual style hip hop. But um, tell us about your oh, yeah. style and what made you want to be a hip hop artist. Um, it was always something I always wanted to do, and I was in my, once again my co-host uh, Montezzi. He's been doing music for since he was fifteen years old, so he's like four, sixteen years in the game. Um, he oh, when we started doing the podcast like two three years ago. Um, I would go with him to the studio and he was always like, man, I think you can do this, man. I think you're up in the studio. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I just like being behind and producing it, like giving ideas and like where to transition, like, like, uh, like, uh, and layering music and stuff like that. I was always into that. Like, he's like, I think you can do it. So I, I wrote, broke voice. I wrote the whole song. I, I pretty much, I wrote the whole album and like TZ just like had his, input and then is added his vocals to it and everything but i wrote the whole album that's why it's from humble beginnings it tells a nice nice little story of like having nothing but it's still having nothing but still enjoying your life still having a good time and i remember when i was young i was just like i didn't have i like i had there was times when my parents were together my parents were together we had a lot and then we they separated i'd had nothing but i was still a happy kid you know so i wrote that song just from that and I've always grown up with like being an outcast fan, like Kanye's, like I love Tyler creator. Now like that vibrant. Good Kanye or crazy ass Kanye. I gotta, I gotta take the crazy (laughs) with the good too. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I gotta take the crazy with it. So but that, just that vibe. I'm I'm, I'm a sucker for a good intro. Like I love the chicken and beer album with with Ludacris. First intro hits, you know, I love like uh, J Cole's uh, Forest Hill Drive's, that January 28th intro. So I'm always been big on like a good intro. So I was like listening to just endless amounts of beats. I'm like, Oh, I love this sample. And so I was like, this is how we, if I would start an album, this is what I would use. And I'm like, you know what? We're starting an album. 
this is what I'm going to use. And it just took off from there. Well, I really appreciate the time. No, yeah, because I, I apologize. We're only, we got less than a minute left. Um, unlike your podcast, yeah. we're live. Uh, so, no, really appreciate. <laughs> Wait on that invite. Wait on that invite. <laughs> really appreciate the time today. Thank you oh, so much. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.